Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into The Fire podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Sherry. And we are at the final chapter, the final five chapters of the first Redwall book. And we actually have to try for the first time some Redwall apple mint ice cream. That we made. So this is based on a thing mentioned in the earlier chapters of this book. We're going to try it for the first time. Well, it's very minty. Yeah, I like it. Yep. We used um, an I, a base um, ice cream recipe from... Uh, you want to talk about the website? Um... It's ice cream with jewels. Now, they don't actually have any Redwall-themed recipes on there. But she does have a lot of small batch ice cream that you just put into a quart jar, like three or four ingredients, shake it for 30 seconds, and put it in a freezer container. It's super simple, and I've made probably about seven or so different kinds. So what they have? A base recipe for mint chocolate chip and you left out the chocolate chip and... Actually, no. I think this is a base... Well, it's a base... Yeah, I guess so. Except for we, we put mint leaves in it and I don't believe that they're mint. I think it was just mint flavoring. Yes, we put in dried apple slices cut up and I added mint leaves which I have mixed feelings now on having them in there. Um, I don't. Well, to me, the the appearance of the mint leaves in the ice cream makes me think of, like, say, a blue cheese kind of look, or... Well, because it's green. It's good. And actually, I like the mint leaves in it. The, The mint flavoring I actually made... I make a lot of my own flavorings um, with a uh, vodka base, usually. Um, but, yeah, it was very good. So, so where are we? We're at... Chapter 11, page 331. And... Uh, We're back at the Abbey, I believe. Oh, we're back at... No, no. They're leaving the barn. Yeah. With the the Guerrilla Union of Shrews, they've uh, made up a celebration feast. You'd think Matthias would be in more of a hurry to get back, but... Well, he also knows protocol and... But, uh, yeah, he ate one last truffle. Hmm. Fancy. I haven't eaten the truffle. And so they're, they're joke, Logalog is joking around with Matthias after this feast, and he kind of offhand asks if he knows anything about 
birds, particularly sparrows. Um, oh, well, let's let's say what he, what is what he, what Logalog called him. Oh, savior of the shrews, slayer of poison teeth, he who speaks with cats, friend maker they... of owls, and uniter of. Oh, shut up, you noisy little devil! Says Matthias. <laughs> yeah, he 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 was. Uh, said okay, and then and he the... pushed him off of the hay bale. Off of the hay, anyway. Right. So, Matthias, you know, says he's had dealings with sparrows. What does Logalog need to know? And Logalog, you know, he says nothing really, but there's been, you know, one reported at the edge of the woods, and they can't understand anything that it's that she's saying, and she's screeching and hopping around, and. Matthias you know, gets up and grabs his sword and says he does understand the sparrow language and he's going to go find out what's upsetting her. Right. He goes with um, about a 20 shrews. shrews. A score a score is 20. And uh, they set off uh, he and he and uh, Logalog set off to find out what's going on. And it turns out the sparrow was his old friend Warbeak. And Warbeak had been crowned queen after the death of King Bull Sparrow. Oh, good for her. So, that's what Dunwing had wanted. And the, the Sparrow tribe was happy because she was a wise ruler. And she was the youngest ever queen. That she was a a good queen, unlike King Bull. And she tells Matthias what's going on. That uh, the rat worm are making a lot of plans. And basically, Clooney would soon be in the Abbey. And um, she's watched the rat worm king, and he's worse than King Bull. And, well, she's right about that. Right. Anyhow... She says, Matthias Mouse, come quick, bring sword. So basically, prepare for battle. Well, after all he went through to get the sword, he certainly would bring the sword. And, um, yeah, she says to bring the shrews, and then she calls them shrew mouse. Yeah. And that she'll bring the whole tribe of sparrows to help too. And they they head off to deal with Clooney, and that's the end of the chapter. Now I'll say in the the TV adaptation, where you know they were padding the episodes out and adding in some extra filler and drama to keep thirteen episodes going for one book. Mm-hmm. Um. They actually had had something where the shrews all went to route Clooney without Matthias, right? And successfully did it, but and Clooney runs off with multiple shrews hanging on to him. But you know, Clooney's back again after that. So this they, did not happen, right? So the sparrow was going to get her tribe. Uh, Logalog ordered his 500 shrews 
to march for battle. And imagine that, 500. Well, that's about as much as Clooney's army was before any casualties. Then again, shrews are runty little small things. Right. But brave. So now we're on to chapter 12. And this is where we're back at the Abbey in this chapter. And uh, Father Abbott wakes up to a sword point at his throat. And Jess and Basil and Winifred and Formal all found themselves in similar situations. And, you know, this was all done very quietly, so... And it looks like the rats were strategically going for the ones most likely to be trouble for them. Right. Constance, uh, you know, the badger, had been sleeping in the grass of the Abbey grounds, which was where she, you know, customarily slept. And so, uh, she was, uh, tied down, um, with a rope net and she was bludgeoned senseless before she properly awoke. Constance the Badger would have been the biggest adversary that they would have to deal with. And in later books you will see just how dangerous a really angry... uh, Constance is pretty dangerous in this book too, but... um, in later books, you will see just how dangerous an angry badger can get. Anyhow, um, Clooney watched with satisfaction. Redwall was his. And he admired the tapestry in the Great Hall and that it belonged solely to him and he ordered the abbot's chair to be brought out and set up on a platform by the gatehouse and said I've got some judgments to deliver and he's like pointing at the picture of Martin and going on about you know you're not gonna haunt my dreams anymore and a voice inside me spoke as he waited outside in the woods that before sunset this day, he would be free of the nightmares forever. As you can see, he's he's cracking. And then cracking. he asked the tapestry, uh. what do you think of that? And Martin smiled, as always, because from his, the tapestry. Because, you know, he's a tapestry. Uh. Right. <laughs> and um, he declares that the place will now, the place, the Great Hall will now be Hall of the Scourge, and the Abbey is Clooney's Castle, and he's coming up with more yeah, names like, for places. Like the Great Rodent Wall, the Lake of Drowning, the Field of Dead Mice. Ferret Gate, Stoat Orchard, and Weasel Bell. And the... The Abbey creatures are at this point all outside of the Abbey as captives, and they're hearing him just laughing crazily in and, there. And they're, they're shivering at the thought of their inevitable fate. 
And Abbot Mortimer looks at the sky and sadly says that it will soon be dawn. And the rat pushes him down and tells him to shut up. And Jess Squirrel knocks the rat flat with her feet and sank her teeth into the bully's back. And a whole bunch of rats jumped on Jess and were you know, hitting her with the handles of their swords and spears. And they drug her off. And um, Mr... Mr. Squirrel is shouting for them to leave her alone and, and calling them cowards. And holding back their Silent baby Silent Sam. Sam who wants to fight them too. Right. And Father Abbott begged not to fight on his account. Because they have the advantage. And they're just going to get hurt. And to which uh, you know, Kill Coney says, yeah, you're sensible words take his tip and be quiet until Clooney comes out and don't make it harder on themselves that's what his mother would say and uh, Basil's like you shouldn't think a blackguard like you ever had a mother and Kilconey cackled and slapped his thigh well now aren't you a big comical rabbit let me tell you my fine gentleman bucko, bucko. <laughs> You won't be half so funny when the scourge is done with you. No, sir. And the prisoners all just wait in the grass for Dawn and Clooney coming out. And that's the end of chapter 12. Um, On to chapter 13, another short one. All of these chapters, except for one of them, are very short. Right. Yeah, chapter 13 is literally two pages. Um, Warbeak... And Logalog are making Matthias rest because um, the mouse is put and and the shrews they're pushing hard to. Yeah, they had a scorching pace. The shrews are actually having trouble keeping up with Matthias, and yeah, none of them could keep as fast as Warby can fly, but she can't you know go too far ahead of them herself. And what what finally made Matthias rest for a moment was he tripped on a tree root. And went sprawling flat, and they pinned him down, and tried to talk sense into them. And they said, "Well, while resting, you know, they could have a council, a, a council of war." And basically, you know, they they each kind of got their assignments. That you know, Logalog told Matthias to carry on to Redwall, and that he and his band. Uh, would you know he would he would wait for his band to catch up to where they were, and they wouldn't be far behind. But that you know they couldn't keep the pace that they had, but they would force march most of the way. And uh, Matthias was concerned that um, the. Abby would already be held with sentries and they wouldn't be able to get back in. And Warbeak is like, why would um, Clooney want sentries? Because they don't think we're going to come and get it back again. But Warbeak um, said that uh, she'd get the sparrows to open the worm doors in the wall uh, east, south, and north. But uh Yeah, because there are three other doors besides the main Right. 
Which I've wondered about, like, how come those aren't much more of a security risk than they are? I, I'd feel like knocking in some little postern gate is gonna be... Yeah. Well... E easier than... It's kind of probably why houses, the front of houses have, you know, they may even have a doorbell camera and that kind of thing. But the back door of people's houses don't tend to. It's probably set inside the wall. Yeah. Anyhow, so, um, what, uh, what Warbeak did was have the Sparrows, uh, take, uh, claws, greased claws, and, uh, you know, basically the doors, locks, bolts, hinges, they wanted him to be totally greased so they would be silent. And when they got to the North Wall, the North Wall Gate, Plumpin, the, the Dormouse leader, he was still alive. He's got a head wound, but he's not dead, and the sparrows kind of, they move him out of the doorway where he just, you know, fell right. after being hit. And it says that the sparrows, nip, the sparrows had, uh, hey pop, come on, had a thousand warriors. And they were perched on the branches of trees all around the abbey waiting. And that is the end of chapter 13. Chapter 14's a, this a is doozy, the long one. it's a long one, and, and it's a lot a lot's happening in it. Um, so, um, dawn is starting to come into the sky, and dew was upon the late rose, you know, a, a typical bit of, you know, Brian Jake's nature description. But, you know, all of the Abbey creatures are still captives out on the lawn. They are, they are made to get up and stand for Clooney to stir. And rats are coming out and kind of poking them with the sword point and slapping them with the flat. So not truly injuring them, but, you know, certainly tormenting them. And they get them all out of the way for Clooney. And he strode out. And uh, he's all dressed up in his finery and his stag beetle helmet. Regent, regally he swept through the ranks of both sides, looking neither to right or nor left. And he um, had a... How do you even pronounce this word? Is it Dace? Dias? I'm not sure. Dace. I should... I should know how this is pronounced because it pops up in... Um... A chunk of the books I've read that have some kind of a king or a queen in it in a castle. The ass. The ass. So. Face, or the, 
my cell phone just uh, said DS. You know, he's got one of those set up and the abbot's chair on it and he's, um, I guess, kind of using that as his phone. And he has the abbot come to him in which the abbot, in his nightshirt... Because that's... He was asleep when he was gotten up. He comes forward to Clooney, but calm and dignified. And, yeah, Clooney says, Ha, so this is your leader. A little fat mouse in his nightshirt. What a fearsome warrior he looks. Well, first of all, he wasn't a warrior. But Clooney doesn't respect that. No. Uh, well... What now, Mouse? Are you going to go down on your knees and beg for your life, little one? And he says he'd never do that for himself, but he would do this if he thought it would save any of his friends, but he knows that it won't. And um, he says, I know you, Clooney, better than you know yourself. There's not a scrap of pity or mercy in your heart, only a burning desire for vengeance. Therefore, I will not kneel to one who is consumed by evil. And he... Clooney gets angry, springs to his feet, and says, Kneel to me, Mouse, kneel, or I will kill you, he stormed. And um, Constance is starting to wake up, still under the net, and is growling and tearing at the grass, and um, shouting to Clooney to remove the net and face her alone and see who ends up on their knees. You know, as we've said before, Constance is the truly dangerous one at this abbey. And a signal from Clooney had a gang of rats leaping on Constance and beat her back into unconsciousness with their weapons. No word of what... No word of the beaver. You notice that? Yeah. Um, I think he would be a fairly uh, dangerous one, too. Yeah. You do not want to deal with an angry beaver. They they bite very hard and Anyhow, Basil Staghair kicked out at the rats and he had drip, when he drove the rats off, he faced Clooney boldly. You, sir, are not fit to command any creature. You are a coward and an evil maniac. Even if my paws were not tied, I would think twice before soiling them upon the likes of you. Ch-cha. Ch-cha. <laughs> you are beneath contempt. You, you rat. Um, and then a weasel... Um, Clubs Basil and hits his legs till he's doubled up and the horde's all laughing and um, Clooney's remember your tricks behind the the common behind the church church. before this day is done you'll never run and dodge again and he addresses all of Redwall Um, when I first came to the Abby, I gave you a choice, surrender or die. You chose to fight me, me, Clooney the Scourge. I lost battles, I lost skirmishes, I lost soldiers, but I've won the war. You are the losers, now you must pay with your lives. And the abbot rushes forward and says that you 
um, dare not harm these creatures, it would be murder. And Clooney throws the abbot down and um, hits him with his poisoned tail. And who are you to tell me what to do? There's only one law, my word. There is none to stop me. No badgers or hares or otters or mice. I will kill you all. Kill, kill, kill. Suddenly a thunderous voice was heard. Clooney the Scourge, I have come to settle with you. And um, Clooney um, drops the tail from his paw. I kind of pictured him, like, moving the tail on its own, but I guess he was actually... he he was using it as a whipping around. And um, in the doorway of the Great Hall stood the warrior mouse, and it looked as if he'd come right off of the tapestry, and he had his shield on his arm and the sword belt, and um, he pulled the sword from the scabbard. And so Clooney is seeing the mouse from his nightmare and he says who are you and the warrior steps forward and says I am the is and Clooney um, can't take his eyes off Matthias he stumbles backwards and hides behind the abbot's chair not just hides, coward and he says you're, you're something out of my dreams go away I'm not asleep and Matthias and comes forward and says, I am that is. Martin Matthias, call me what you will. It was long ago written that you and I would meet, rat. So when Clooney screamed, seize him. And Frogblood runs forward and um, Matthias kills him with a single swing, even though Frogblood has a spear. And Matthias, once again, he says, I'll slay any invader that moves. This is between me and you, Clooney. Your army are not going to interfere. And the bell become begins the tolling. The bell, yeah. And sparrow warriors and so many swarm of them that they're obscuring the sky, and they're landing all over the parapet edges. And there are sh- gorilla shrews all over the ground, and they have their rapiers, cudgels, and slings. And Matthias whirls. Uh- the sword above his head as he roars out his battle cry. Redwall! Redwall! Strike for Redwall! The final conflict had begun. And, um, the shrews attack the guards, the sparrows, um, release the prisoners from their bonds. And... Uh, everyone started you know, fighting back against the invaders. And Clooney grabbed a blazing torch from Kilcony and flung it at Matthias's face. And Matthias you know, deflected it with the sh- shield. And then Clooney just pushes Kilcony to Matthias. And Matthias cuts him in half. Um, this almost seems a bit... I know Julian the cat said that the sword doesn't have any powers of its own. Yeah. But I'm noticing Matthias went from he hadn't killed anything ever as far as I know except for the snake. Or possibly if he had a hand in 
the the grayling and suddenly he's like this trained killer chopping creatures in half well mm. i imagine the sword had to be extremely sharp uh it had to be you I, a regular sword you couldn't do that and even though i'm sure he had no time to clean and sharpen or whatever it just had stayed in perfect shape but also that you know psychologically Matthias going from not killing anything to yeah. suddenly I mean I understand also you know the adrenaline of battle and yeah and he is a warrior mouse I and, like to uh, think that uh, Martin the warrior was in him I think he was yeah um and Matthias did not see Fangburn coming up behind him. And before Fangburn could hit him with his cutlass, Constance came up behind Fangburn and threw the net over him. And Constance picked up the net with Fangburn in it and hit it several times against the wall till Fangburn was dead. And then she went and uh, attacked a pack of weasels with a terrifying roar. Um, Clooney tries to um, go for Matthias's face with his poison tail barb. And he deflects it with the shield and swings the sword and cuts off the tip of Clooney's tail, which means he can't use it in a really dangerous way again. Plus there's gotta be some pain involved. And Clooney picks up and hurls the abbot's chair. Um, I always picture this chair as huge. Uh, yeah, heavy, solid, probably oak. And grabs an iron spike, and he's pretty much sparring with Matthias, uh, the iron spike against the sword, and they're battling all over the Abbey lawns where everyone else is fighting too. Um, Spera are working together to pick up rats and fly them up and then drop them into the pond. And, um, ferrets are cornering shrews, and the otters come to the shrews' rescue with their pebbles and slings. Um, Jess has gotten loose, and she has an iron chain that she's swinging around. And Amber Spike, in a rare moment of actually behaving like an animal is curled up into a ball so he's all needles and Silent Sam is propelling Ambrose you know rolled up into a ball into each fresh bat bunch of rats with a long stick so think of uh, like hockey yeah but the or, physics or of the that a, a full grown 
uh, European hedgehog. It's like... It's sizable. It's sizable, and a baby red squirrel is tiny. But it's also a story. It is. Um, yeah, I don't know if any... if. If the listeners know about hedgehogs, we've we've kept hedgehogs, but they were not European. They were um, African pygmy. And think of an African pygmy hedgehog as about the size of a softball. You, if you cupped your hands together, it would fit in your hands nicely. But they will, like we call it snits. Oh, they when they are, if they get nervous or angry, they curl up into a ball. And their their spikes all just stick out, and it'll actually puff up with air, and it'll make a little popcorn popping noise, and it can't throw the spikes. Um, and contrary to popular belief, a porcupine can't throw them either, but it'll kind of pop upward as it's snitting, and if your hand is anywhere near, it's poking you with them, and it hurts. Yeah, and... and- uh, hedgehogs uh, do not have barbed spikes like. Um, so if you get a spike actually in you, it's easier to remove than it would be if like a porcupine got you with a yeah, tail. Yeah, I've never but, had a hedgehog spike actually go in and stay. You know, I've I've had little tiny pokes, but generally, our hedgehogs have been. Pretty, now this was in Massachusetts good. and Rhode Island where hedgehogs are legal. And we're in Pennsylvania now where they're not legal. Otherwise, we would have a hedgehog for sure because we loved our hedgehogs. Uh, European hedgehog, which is um, not bred and sold as a pet, at least around here. Um, it's several times the size of the African hedgehog. And... European hedgehogs can handle winters. African pygmy yes. hedgehogs cannot. Um, the reason, yeah, I'm going a little bit uh, exotic animal politics here, but um, the reason why African hedgehogs are illegal in Pennsylvania is the alleged it would get loose and survive and become established as an invasive species, as you know, several types of animals have. In this state, um, such as like the snakehead fish, right? But in the case of the African pygmy hedgehog, it's not possible because its body can only serve sustain a cold weather hibernation for a few days before it would die. Which meant, if a hedgehog were released into the wild, the poor hedgehog would not survive, but it also would not become established. And of course. Responsible owners would not release them into the wild, but... But also, I've never, ever seen um, a European hedgehog in the pet trade. Never. And Um, so... Generally, when somebody has one, it's like a rescue, one of those hedgehog rescues that exist for hedgehogs that are injured or need help in the wild, and they get brought into those kind of places. Right. And, yeah, people will bring them in because they might have mange... And they drop, their quills will fall out because of mange. They also or, have a, sorry, interrupt. Uh, I'm just like, uh. They tend to get their heads stuck in, like, ice cream cups from fast food places. Yeah. Um, to the point where, um, at least in one country, I believe McDonald's has made a wider, 
um, opening on, so hedgehogs would stop getting their heads caught. Yeah. Well, anyway, back to Matthias and Clooney are um, battling savagely, even though they are both starting to tire, and Clooney is fighting dirty and throwing dirt at Matthias's eyes, which um, he continues to bring up the shield and not get the dirt. But his paws were beginning to feel numbed from the jarring blows um, of, from the iron railing against the sword. And Clooney was also feeling it, too. Um, and yeah. Clooney, eventually, he um, dodged right into the behind the door to the entrance of Great Hall, and Matthias got, he swung and he got his sword lodged into the wood of the door. And you know, Clooney sees that as his chance, and he's battering at the shield until Matthias is forced to drop it, and he, Matthias gets the iron spike driven into his paw. So now Matthias is injured, too, and um, probably worse than Clooney missing the end of his tail. And Matthias cries out and, and instinctively kicked the shield upwards at his adversary, and it struck Clooney squarely under the chin, and the sharp metal edge caused a long slash. Oh, if he'd done that harder, Clooney would have maybe not uh, survived well, that. Well, yeah, it would have s- s- totally slit his throat. Um, but the rat reeled away, clutching at his throat, and Matthias quickly freed the sword from the door, and they they're they're fighting they're recommences, yes, and he, Clooney, even though he's missing the poison barb and the tip of his tail, can still swing his tail around, and he used it to trip Matthias to the ground, and uh, yeah, Clooney uh, stabbed <laughs> downwards with the spiked rail, and Matthias rolled to the side, and the point sank deep into the earth. And he struggled to his feet, striking out and scoring Clooney heavily down the side. But the long tail whipped out, lashing the warrior mouth several times across the face. So Clooney staggered into the entrance of the bell tower where Friar Hugo had been tolling the Joseph bell. At the sight of the rat warlord, um, Friar Hugo released the rope and scuttled underneath the stairs where he hid trembling. And Matthias came thundering in, and Clooney dodged around him and slammed the door, locking them in together. If only he could get the mouse close at close quarters and stop him from using the sword, Clooney thought he'd win with his superior strength. And they were locked in combat again. And yeah, they they continued to fight and and they were pushing with both claws that drove Matthias backwards. And uh, Matthias actually kicks Clooney with both of his legs and Clooney crashes into the wall. And Matthias 
jumps over Clooney and runs up the spiral stairs into the the belfry and Clooney's like there's no way you're gonna get out of there you're and I'm gonna come up after you you're as good as dead now and Matthias is just exhausted up in the belfry and he's up at the area where the bell is actually hanging from and Clooney is actually glad that he's taking a small rest too and then he heard Far Hugo sneeze under the stairs and he grabs Far Hugo and um, has his iron spike and says I've got your uh, little fat friend if he doesn't come down those stairs and throw down the sword, he will spike um, Hugo like a lollipop. Uh, this is a change from the TV show, too, where it was Cornflower that was being threatened. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, uh, he's threatening the Abbey Cook. I don't think Clooney really, really knows who everybody is. Yeah, but well, how, how would he? No, not the cook. So from Matthias's vantage point, he looked down, and far below him on the floor, he could see Clooney holding the spike under Far Hugo's chin. And Clooney gave the point a light jab, and Hugo gurgled unhappily. You see, all it takes is a little harder push, and he's dead. Now throw down your sword and get down here yourself, quick. Matthias peered over the rim of the Joseph Bell. All right, rat, you win. But how do I know you'll keep your word? First let the friar go, and then I promise on my honor as a warrior that I'll come down. And Clooney grinned wickedly. There it was again, that stupid little thing called honor, the code of the warrior, but it was not his code. He had won. Get out of my sight, you sniveling little wrench. Wretch? Yeah. Huh? Wretch? Wretch, sorry. Uh... And that's uh, he he pushes Hugo away from him, and Hugo um, heads right back under the stairs where he had been hiding before. And Clooney stood in the center of the room, his one eye straining to catch sight of Matthias in the belfry. And um, he's bleeding from his injuries because, as you know, by this point, both of them have taken some hurts from. Yeah, it said he he was dripping blood from a dozen wounds. Um, and he says, come on down, Mouse. Clooney the Scourge is waiting for you. And Matthias is standing there on the beam, and he brings the sword down on the rope holding up the Joseph Bell, and it drops like a massive stone. And Clooney is just standing there, staring upward. Clang. And the full weight of the bell lands on him. And... Um, when Matthias comes back down the the stairs, he can just see, like, smashing tail and bloody claw sticking out from under the bell. Though Clooney is dead, and the bell is cracked down the center like the Liberty Bell. Yep. And he helps the the fire out from under the stairs and he says, I kept my promise to you, Clooney. I came down. So, Matthias did indeed keep his promise. Now, as for the honor part of it, that's a bit iffy, but 
Do I particularly blame him, though? Well, he didn't say he'd drop his sword or anything. He said he'd come down the stairs. That's all he Which said. he did. He and did he indeed did. come down the stairs. Um, anyhow, so... Uh, together, uh, Friar Hugo and Matthias open the door and walk out into the sunlight of a summer morning and Redwall had won the final battle. And outside there are a lot of bodies from creatures from both sides. But a lot more of the bodies were from the um, invaders than um, the others. And there weren't any living um, rats, ferrets, weasels, or stoats to be seen. And Constance points to the bell tower and asks a single word, Clooney. And um, Matthias says he's dead and were all the hordes slain, did he take any prisoners? And the badger says that a lot of them tried to escape and they didn't really try to stop them. And they got the main gate open, ran out into the road where a big ginger cat and a white owl were waiting for them. Hell's whiskers, I've never seen anything like it. So the cat and the owl did indeed take out a lot of rats. Yeah, they while well, they were retreating. Yeah. And um, and and the owl promised only to not harm shrews and mice, that kind of thing. So owls got to eat something. Yeah. So um any owl yeah, he limps up and through Matthias a wobbly salute. Squire Julian, Captain Snow, you can talk to them later on, young fella. Right now, you're needed over at the cloisters. It's the abbot. Better hurry. So they all, even though they're tired, they run to where the abbot is, and he is laying in the gardens, and the poison from the tail tip is, you know, finishing its work. And the father was dying. Um, it's actually um, pretty amazing. He lasted this long, considering when Clooney hit one of his own rats, it just collapsed dead. Well, maybe this was just a, a minor wound compared to, you know, more poison in the other or something. But the abbot is still alive to, you know, say his farewells. Um... Constance is cradling his head and um, Matthias um, holds his paw and uh, the abbot smiles at him and he says Matthias my son I see you have restored the sword of Martin to our abbey is your mission completed then and Matthias says that yes he's done his task Clooney is dead and the abbot says he's you know done you so, know, his, so, have so have I my son so have I I mean, you know, completed his task. And and Constance says, Father Abbot, you must live. And the abbot's old face broke into a weak smile. My old friend, I am not like the seasons. I can't go on forever. It has to finish sometime. The tears rolled down Matthias's cheeks. He could not stop them. The abbot patted his pod kindly. Ah, Matthias, Matthias, the brave one. Wipe away your tears, my son. Death is only part of life. Tell me, 
Can you see the late rose? And Matthias dried his eyes on the abbot's wide sleeve. Yes, father. It's in full bloom now. And all of the little roses are red as blood? They are, father, Matthias answered. And the abbot sighed. Then it is... It is as it was meant to be. Is Brother Alf nearby? Brother Alf knelt before the abbot. Ah, Brother Alf, my old and valued companion. When I am gone to my rest, you will take my place as abbot. You are a wise and compassionate mouse. I know you will look after my creatures for me. And the abbot Mortimer closed his eyes for a moment before carrying on with his final instructions. Uh what a great pity that it took so much bloodshed to unite us all. Henceforth the sparrows the sparrows may come and go as they wish, and they must share our food and use our abbey, not only the roof, but all of it. These good gorilla shrews also no longer will they be as gypsies roaming the woods. They will have a proper home here at Redwall as long as they wish. And now, Matthias, my son, I must tell you my decision regarding you. It is my wish that you do not enter our order as a brother. And everyone gives a gasp of surprise, and Matthias bows his head, you know, stunned at this. And the abbot goes on, No, my son, your heart is far too brave. This abbey needs you, but not as a brother. Therefore, I name you Matthias, the warrior mouse of Redwall, champion of our order. From this day you will defend this abbey and all of its creatures from evil and wrong. Your sword shall be known far and wide as Rat Death. Now, Cornflower, where is little Cornflower? And Cornflower um, comes forward, and she stood by the abbot, waiting for here he'd say, There you are, dear Cornflower. The abbot smiled. A warrior needs a good wife. You are the beauty that will grace Redwall and rule the heart of our Matthias. The old gatehouse will be extended into a proper home. It belongs to you both. Guard our threshold wisely and well. And Matthias and Cornflower felt joy and pride singing in their hearts. And to Constance, he says, And you, my oldest friend, do me one last service. Lift my head a little, and I will tell you what my failing eyes can see before I leave you. And she um, raises the abbot's head. Ah, yes, I see the most beautiful summer morning of my life. The friends I know and love are all about me. Redwall, our home, is safe. The sun shines warmly upon us. Nature is ready to yield her bounty again in plenty this autumn. I have seen it all before many times, and yet I never cease to wonder. Life is good, my friends. I leave it to you. Do not be sad, for mine is a peaceful rest. Thus did Mortimer, the father abbot of Redwall, die. So this... This is very sad. Yeah. And... Um... Brian Jakes's books, you know, with you know all that goes on in them, they they deal with death and grief quite a bit, and this is um, how it tends to be with you know that nobody's life goes on forever and. Um, grief is a thing to feel when that happens, but happiness right is important too. And 
that is the conclusion of chapter 14 and the final chapter of the Redwall book, chapter 15. Um, now, before I go on to that... Yeah? Um, yeah, the shrews, at this point, they will be going on to live at Redwall. But that's not going to be a permanent arrangement in the later books. Um, Shrews will keep a friendship with, with with Redwall, but they will continue roving and going about in their log boats, and you know it's it's, That's the, what they it's are. the true life. It's right, and I think when I when I read that about the abbot saying, you know, not only the sparrows but the shrews can consider all of Redwall their home, and I'm thinking, okay, they said there was like a thousand sparrows. So think about the size, the literal size of how many, how big the abbey would need to be to house and to feed that size. Um, and, you know, the the shrews army. and 500 shrews five, strong before any are lost in the battle. And that's not even counting necessarily little shrews, you know, the families of shrews that, you know, may have not all be there in this army. And now the part about he doesn't want Matthias to join the order as a brother, um, do you think it's uh, entirely like the order of peace, you know, part? Yes. Um, now, it never was clear, clear to me whether the the brothers and sisters of Redwall with brother and sister as titles were, you know celibacy like nuns and monks I mean that's not gone into it's not gone into you don't really see them married except for one time in a much later book there is a sister that marries now maybe that means she's just not officially a sister anymore or I don't or know maybe, or maybe they don't have that rule yeah but there's no rules really mentioned on that and that's just as well and well Matthias and Cornflower you know the abbot kind of set them up. Now this is... But they were already a little something. Now, yeah, it could be seen as... Uh, maybe it's not the abbot's business to arrange them, but I think it really is the abbot saw that they were in love and was pretty much giving them, like, the go-ahead to... Mm-hmm. It's really not the kind of book where... There is any kind of you know arranged against anybody's right, so yeah, this is the end of the chapter, and on to chapter fifteen, which is really the epilogue, and it's a year later it's a year later um, it's an extract from the Annals of Redwall by John Churchmouth, who took over as recorder when Methuselah died and um, it is the summer of the talking squirrel because Silent Sam was heard speaking to the son of Matthias and Cornflower. And you know, once he started talking, he didn't shut up. He became noisy Sam. Um, they, never, they don't give him that name here, but he will be referred to as Noisy Sam in at least one later book. Right. Um, and this son of 
Matthias and Cornflower. His name is Matthias Methuselah Mortimer. Um, but that's too big a name. So everyone calls him Madame Mayo, which I'm not exactly sure how you, by any logic, get that from. I mean, I kind of see it's like part of the first name and then a little bit of the second and third name, but still, that's that's a that's a stretch, Madame Mayo. Yeah. And um, in a subsequent book where he's in it, he's still Madame Mayo, or sometimes Matt. Um, I'm not sure whether he one time gets the full name when he's in big trouble with his dad. Um, I'd have to look again. And uh, the new abbot... Alf? Yeah. His actual name is more Dalfus, but he doesn't want to be called by that, and um, John Churchmouse actually records it as no wonder he always preferred the name Alf. I mean, more Dalfus? Yeah. And they mark the first uh, anniversary of his being abbot with a huge feast and everyone's invited, and Constance is pulling her cart around and getting, you know, creatures as guests. And the gorilla shrews. They're collecting honey from the bee folk. And they've learned the language of the bees, and they have a great friendship with them. But they learned the language so they could argue with them, because <laughs> they're the shrews. Right. And the spirit... Queen Warbeak has appointed herself deputy to Fire Hugo, and she's showing interest in uh, learning cooking. And Cornflower is in the meadows with Mrs. Churchmouse and Dunwing, the Sparrow Queen Mother, and they're gathering flowers to put on the tables. Basil Staghair has gone off to bring his friends Captain Snow and Squire Julian back to the Abbey with them. And Basil is ignoring that it's the Abbot's anniversary and he's calling it a regimental reunion dinner. Oh, can you imagine Captain Snow at the Abbey? Oh my. <laughs> Look at all this food. It's not vegetarian. Look at all those dinners skipping about. Why can't I eat them? My oath. Right? Right. Um, It never goes into it like that, but come on, it's Captain Snow. (sighs) And Winifred the Otter and the Beaver is there and Ambrose Spike testing the quality of the October Nut Brown Ale which must be particularly fine this year, judging by the sounds of rowdy ballads coming from the wine cellars. <laughs> Plumpin and his family of dormice are working with Formal to dig a roasting pit. That's kind of dark. It's for the fish. Yeah, it's for the fish, but it's Plumpin and the mice who were threatened with a roasting pit several yeah. chapters ago. Um... And now the Joseph bell that had been broken uh, was recast into two smaller bells, and they were named Matthias and Methuselah. And the twin church mice, Tim and Tess, who have grown more, they're the bell ringers now. 
and the crops are growing well and the fruit trees and the honey is sweeter than ever and the old gatehouse is now a beautiful rambling cottage and I think that'd be really nice to live in what now? that would be really nice to live in oh my goodness oh, yes if I lived at Redwall, I don't think I'd like being in a dormitory. I would at least want my own room. But your aunt and uncle, no, your your dad's aunt and uncle, I should say, Aunt Peg and Uncle Mike, for many years lived in a gatehouse, an actual gatehouse, and it was a very nice place. Um, it was a gatehouse for a school uh, for dyslexia. And uh, they both worked at the school, and they got to live in the gatehouse. Um, so I think of that whenever I see gatehouse. So uh, he says he will fin- finish his writing now and go prepare himself for the festivities, which will be held at their usual place at Cavern Hole in Redwall Abbey. Please be sure to visit us if ever you are passing. And he signs off as John Churchmouse, recorder formerly of St. Ninian's. And I like the part where the, the please be sure to visit us because yeah. um, a bunch of the Redwall books end that way and it feels like it's inviting the reader to... Yeah. And here ends the story. So that's it. That's the end of the first Redwall book. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. And, of course, there's a whole nother... Is it 22 or 23 book? Oh, my goodness. Um, I, some, I'm not sure. I feel like at least 22. And we will eventually get to be doing more of these, but um, for now we'll take a little break. And, you know, it was good reading. And... Um, if you want the story of the Joseph Bell itself, you can read Marielle of Redwall um, for the rest of the series. Otherwise, um, anything except after Redwall, um, they're not all in um, chronological order. Some of them are set in history before the Abbey. Some are long um, after this takes place. Don't mind the barking dog. Um, a couple of the other titles from the uh, series are Moss Flower, which makes sense. Which is also set before... It's the next book. It's set before this one, um, before the Abbey is even built. And a book titled Madame Mayo, and you can guess who that's about, since uh, Madame Mayo comes up at the end of this book. And after that, there's Marielle of Redwall, as I mentioned, which is um, about... Um, how the bell got there, among a bunch of other things. Uh-huh. Um, about the mouse that created the bell and his daughter. So yeah, there's a, a lot of these books to enjoy, and I encourage you to if you if you like this, uh, get into reading the. Others, too. Um, As good as this book was, I think the series actually gets um, better later on when Brian Jakes has really, you know, solidified how that world works and... 
um, then it, it gets even better. Right. Um, thank you for listening to Cast It Into The Fire podcast. Please follow us, review, um, any feedback. We would love to hear it. And, uh, oh, can we give a plug for Kenny? Sure. Uh, um, yes, our, our friend Kenny Plank. Uh, um, he's actually Clarence, uh, Clarence Plank and uh, as you know, the books that he's written, uh, and he writes poetry. And he's written quite a few books. You can get them on Amazon. Um, you can get them as e-books or hardcover or, the, you know, printed books. Um, and he also does, uh, poetry readings. And you can go on Facebook onto the Shoebox Poet and, um, listen to some of his readings. Right now he's doing readings... Uh, Sunday evenings uh, at uh, 8.30 Eastern Time, 7.30 Central Time. Uh, so uh, we enjoyed it last night, and uh, I recommend to others to uh, give it a listen and uh, consider getting his books. Uh, we've got several of them, and uh, I love his poetry. Thank you for listening to Cast Into the Fire podcast, and have a good day. Have a good day. Bye.